My name's Terrence, and I'm an elder here at Covenant Church. And um, I just want to take a minute to welcome guests and visitors. And um, we're just glad you're here. Um, as the kids said, who can save us? Jesus. And um, I'm just excited to be sharing with you today this uh, message. We're in a series called Seek and Find. And a couple weeks ago, Ben shared about our Father as... Um, God is a heavenly Father who opens, welcomes us with open arms, um, no matter what we've done, where we've gone. Story of the prodigal son. Um, God is there with open arms, excited, wanting to be with us. Um, last week, Ken spoke about um, seeking and finding peace, and that Jesus is our path, pathway to peace. And um, today, I get the opportunity to speak on Jesus as our King. Seeking and find our king. And there's just so many things you can say about, about Jesus. Um, there's so many different ways you can express how awesome, how wonderful our king is. So um, I thought, I found a video that does a pretty good job of, of getting that message across. I thought it would be a good way to, to kick off this sermon. Um, before I share that video, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you are a dad that loves us, a king that has our best interests at heart. Thank you for this time we have to spend together today talking about, about you, living for you, enjoying you, and what it means to make you our king in everything. We lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the 
gets me pumped up. Man, there's so much we can say. Let's get this working here. Okay. So that's our king. What can we say about him? He is all those things. He is matchless. He is loving. He's caring. He did everything for us. He's a father who loves us, who relentlessly pursues us. And there's just so much we can say about him. So the question, hit the slides, this thing's not working. So the question that we have is this amazing king, as David said in the Psalms, who is God that he is mindful of us mere mortals? The question is, what does he want from us? Like, ultimately, what, when, you, when you sit here and, and think about it, what does God want from us, his children, his, his people? And I think a lot of times, um, some things that come to our head is he wants a relationship with us. And uh, he, he wants us to know him. He wants our devotion. He wants us to obey him. And all those things are true, but I think if you dig deeper, if you, if you get to the root of it, he wants us to trust him. He wants his children to trust him. And as Ken shared last week, um, and we're going to revisit that story really quick here, is that, we, that trust that we once had with God was broken and lost in the garden. And Jesus, praise God, won it back for us. Won, won back the ability for us to trust him. So if we go back to that story, you can kind of see the heart of this right there. Okay? Jesus, or God just got done creating everything. The stars, the universe, the galaxy. And he made this awesome planet. And he created people in his image. And, you know, his desire was to was for us to experience um, 
what it's like to be in fellowship with him, what it's like to create, what it's like to enjoy his creation, what it's like to love one another. He wanted us to get a taste of what it's like for him as being the triune God, the fellowship, the relationship, the creative power he had within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wanted that for his, his kids. He wanted us to experience that. He wanted us to create cultures, to, have, um, to build things, to enjoy him. And then he says, so I've given you all of this. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to walk with you in the garden. But, but trust me, trust me. There's this tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you have to believe me, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it. Because you don't want to define good and evil for yourselves. As the king of everything and the king of the universe, I have set things in motion to be perfect for us. For that definition of good to be had in me and in our relationship. Don't, don't go there. Don't do it. So right there, he's like, trust me. This will go bad if you eat this. And what do they do? Well, Satan enters the scene. He whispers a few lies to them, just like he does to each of us today. And, and decisions that we're trying to make, decisions we know we shouldn't do. You hear the enemy say, hey, listen. God can't be trusted on this. He's holding out on you. In fact, if you eat this, you're going to be more like him. He doesn't want you to do that. And um, you can see right there, he wants that trust that we had in God to be broken. He wants us to take that and replace the trust we have in God and put it on ourselves. Make ourselves king because he knows, he knows what that's going to do. So sure enough, they take, they eat. All trust was broken. The ability to trust God was broken. That relationship that was awesome is now, there's a giant chasm between humanity and God. And as we follow the narrative of the Bible, we see that God does not leave us broken, empty orphans. He, he has a plan. And he implements that plan from the beginning all the way through till the end. And praise God, Jesus was a huge part of that plan coming through and restoring that trust that was broken by dying for us in our place and saying, look, if you, if you had any doubts about God loving you, if you had any doubts about your ability to trust him, look no further than me giving you my only son to sacrifice himself for you. That, that foundational truth, the fact that God made that his plan to win us back, um, can tell us that he can be trusted more than anyone else. He's the only person that deserves all of our trust in everything. We know the power of trust when you look at relationships. So yes, our desire is to know Jesus and make him known. How do you know him? How do we know him? We know that every strong relationship is only as deep as the trust that's there within. When you look at your kids, this is, this is a great example of that. When, when you look at your kids and, and you're playing with them and, I, you know, I'll, I like to play soccer with my kids in the, in the front yard and we're having a great time and we're like, let's, you know, I want you to do, you know, let's, let's have fun, let's do this, but trust me, don't go out into the road. Like, seriously, don't go out into the road. 
it's paramount that they, that they obey and they listen because their life literally is, is at stake. As your kids get older and they start trusting you less, maybe trusting in themselves a little more. Maybe mom and dad don't know everything they, you know, that, that I think they know. And then they start becoming a little bit more of their own king. A little bit of that comes into the scene. And as parents, you know, my wife and I are, have had teenagers live with us. We, we're foster parents and we've seen this happen where we're saying, trust us. I know that you love this boy, that this boy here um, wants to give you um, promises to give you life and fulfillment. But believe me, don't give your heart away. Don't just give that trust to, to, to this boy without um, first getting to know him and be, becoming friends and letting this thing develop. And when you give that advice, you're doing it from a place of love. You know, you're doing it from a place of wanting what's best for the child. And that there is at the root of it. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that God has your best interests in mind in everything? Um, because if that teenager then decides to um, just go all in and, and, and just do it and maybe not really listen, it, it oftentimes results in tears, crying, hurt. And, and a lot of times the anger that they have in this relationship is then taken out on the parent. And that relationship gets strained a little bit. And, and that's the thing that I wanted to get through today is that that love that God offers us is unconditional. Just like the kids that are in my house, my love for them is unconditional. It's, it's going to be there. I'm going to be their parents. I'm never letting that go. I'm never throwing. But the relationship I have with each one of them can either be a blessing and a joy and good or it can be strained and it can be hurtful and it can be less and a lot of that depends on how much they they trust me and how much that when i say i'm going to catch them i catch them when they jump um and that sort of thing and and when trust is broken we're not without hope you know when trust is i'm sure everyone in here has gotten hurt their trust has been lost in something but because we have a sufficient savior who um, demonstrated to us sacrificial love, unconditional love, we can then extend that to others. We have the ability to extend that to others. So what do we get as we trust God with every aspect of our life? If, if, if we, what do we get? Besides like, you know, we get this relationship and everything. But ultimately, we get him. We get God. He is the prize. So, and, and all of us know it's easy to, to make ourselves king and make, our, make ourselves what life is about and put our trust in ourselves. But ultimately, we start losing that relationship with God. We start missing it. When we trust him, ultimately, we get relationship, a deeper relationship with him. And as your trust in him goes, your relationship with him goes. You get life. And I love the Greek word for life. It's zoe. And it's basically the God kind of life. The all-fulfilling, all-encompassing, full-fulfilling life. And we get to experience that now and forever. And we get it in shadow sometimes here because we're still on this side of heaven. 
but we get it in greater measure than if we did not have it. Um, what he does not promise is a safe life, necessarily. And I think that's where the trust comes in. Because anybody that's lived for any amount of time experiences suffering. Things on this earth are not safe. Um, in my own life, I've gone through several miscarriages. Um, I've had life-threatening illnesses that left me paralyzed. I've had a heart attack. And I've learned that life isn't safe. But the anchor through all of that is the trust I have in God that he has my best interest at heart. Like, when it all is said and done, I have to sit back and say, God, do you have my best interest here? Because it really doesn't look like it. But then I go back to the cross. And I see Jesus on the cross and what he went through to, to pluck me out and save me and bring me in fellowship with him. And, I, and that's like, yes, you do have my best interest. You do have a greater plan here. We also get a life that is marked by fruit. And this is, this is really good news. Um, as our love and our relationship with God deepens, and as we learn to trust Him and obey Him, and, and trust is an action. So it's kind of, yes, I believe you, then I go do something. It's not just, yes, I believe you, and that's the end of it. So as, as your relationship with God deepens, He gives you fruit to love people better, to love your spouse better he gives you a joy that allows you to like the psalm says rejoice this is the day that the lord has made you know let's rejoice in this day these are fruits that grow naturally as your relationship with him develops it doesn't you can't will yourself to have these things you get patience you know when an argument arises your, the fruit that comes from this relationship with God is an increased amount of patience instead of flying off the handle. And of course, we've all done it, myself included. So it's not a one-time, I get these things and I'm good. It's, it's like a continual, as you abide in him, these things come. You're good. You're good to people. You want to do good things to people. You want to bless them. These are fruits that come from this relationship, this deep trust. And they're... they're there are things that arise and are part of that full life. Self-control is huge. You get the ability to have control over the things that attempt to control you. The idols in your life that attempt to control you and take over, you know, your peace. The idols that, that vie for your attention and worship by the fruit of self-control, you can say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some control here. And it's given, God, it's given by God. It's a gift. By, it's a byproduct of your relationship with God. Now, I won't be controlled by this thing. I'm going to be controlled by the king. And I'm going to make an effort to do that. So this is, this is good stuff. I mean, this is good news. So the question we ask ourselves um, today and, and tomorrow and the next day is, do we trust him? Do we trust him in the big things and the small things? Sometimes it's easy to trust him when a big thing happens. Uh, you know, sometimes it's easy. It's like, okay, this crazy, horrible thing happened. I'm just going to trust you and hold on. 
for dear life and God, you've got my back and I'm going to go with this. But on the day-to-day little things, when those speed bumps come in your life and it's telling you, whoa, do you trust him? When your kids are, are um, not listening to you, when your spouse is coming home late, when just your career isn't going the way that you think it should, do you trust him? And I think ultimately what, what we're doing is we're saying, look, I want to put things in perspective, God. You're God. You did all that in the video described at the beginning. You are all these things. We have to daily remind ourselves of who he is, what he's done for us, and, re, and reposition ourselves in that, in that framework. Because you know how quickly we can go into something that's like bothering us, a problem. And the, and the beauty of the gospel is that it is powerful. I mean, it is powerful. So do, do you trust him? And do you trust him to come through for you on his terms or yours? I know a lot of us, myself included, often have an idea of how God should come through for me. <laughs> it should look this way. When I pray about something, it should probably happen like this. And oftentimes, because God knows everything, <laughs> he knows what's best for you personally. He knows what's best for the world. You can, you can say, I can rest in that. I can actually rest in this. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we want him to come through on our terms. And that, that kind of leads us into our passage today, it being Palm Sunday. In Matthew 21, this is a question that, that um, you can look at and see in Scripture. Because today is Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. It's the part in the story of God, the narrative where everything was lost in the beginning God's been working on this plan to save people. We're at this point where Jesus has just got done doing a ton of miracles, casting out demons. Now, he's been telling people, all right, don't tell anybody. You know, he'll, he'll heal somebody. He'll say, now don't tell anyone. This is a triumphal entry, you know. He's coming in, riding into town, saying, I am the king, and I'm coming. Um, and I think people in the people had a different idea of the way they think God should have came through for them. So I'm going to pick this up in Matthew 21. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, Just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I love this part. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They just did it. They trusted him. They're like, that's kind of weird. We're just going to go down here and and ask these people for their donkey. One that's never even been ridden on before, but okay. So they did just as he commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting. It was pandemonium. They were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, Jesus entered the temple, and he began—I love this part—and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, "The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves." The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, Yes. He replied, Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Just want to pull out some highlights from that scripture. First, Jesus' fame is going viral at the time. He just got done healing Lazarus from the dead about three days ago. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of mind-blowing, but kind of resurrected Lazarus might have been at the first Palm Sunday. <laughs> like, wow, he was dead. Now he's here waving things. So he, his fame is going viral. He is publicly declaring his kingdom. So as I said before, before when he'd do miracles and, and this times, he'd tell people to be quiet. It's not my time. It's not my time. And he's coming in, riding in on a donkey. And a lot of people think, well, that's a way for him to, to say he's lowly. But in the, in the Old Testament, kings that were riding in on a donkey was basically, it was a sign of like, this is a peace. This is a peace offering. This is coming, in, coming in, I'm coming in peace. Um, where he entered in was geographically relevant. So the Mount of Olives is, is the first time that that's mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament is actually when David is being chased out of his kingdom, betrayed by his own son. He's being pushed out, and, he's, and it's described that he's leaving the Mount of Olives. And, you know, God promised that the king was going to come through the line of David. Now Jesus is saying, I'm entering in on the, from the Mount of Olives. I'm coming. I am the ultimate king here. And I'm coming in. So that's geographically relevant. It was predicted 500 years ago. So again, he's like, you can trust me. This is true. This was said 500 years ago. I'm coming in on a donkey. It was said in Zechariah. Here I am. I'm going to skip that bullet point. But I love the fact that the first thing he does when he comes in, riding on the donkey, you know, people are going crazy. It's pandemonium. He comes in to the temple, and he just starts throwing tables over. And he's basically, in my opinion, this is him saying, this is a house of prayer. You've turned this into a den of thieves. What he's saying is like, look, man can't serve God in money. You've basically turned my temple into a money-making scheme. I'm not going to have it. God's not going to have it. And he, he throws those over, and then he brings healing. And that's the other thing we can know about our king. He comes in, tosses the people that were worshiping money, 
goes and starts healing the lepers. He brings healing. His kingdom brings healing, spiritual, emotional, physical. But what we learned from this, going through this coming week with Good Friday, we learned that the people had trusted Jesus on their terms. You see, God had a plan to come in and conquer sin. He had a plan to come in and deal with sin by dying in our place. When the people wanted Jesus to come in as a conquering king to overthrow the Romans, they thought he was going to come in, overthrow the Romans, restore economic and political power to the Israelites. When that didn't happen, and they saw that wasn't happening, happening they quickly turned. You know, a large percentage of the people that were waving palms and saying, yeah, our king's here, our king's here. He's going he's gonna to come through for us. He's going to restore political and economic power to the Israelites. Yes. And then they see, wait, he's in prison? What? He's being marched um, in front of the Pilate? What's going on? Then all of a sudden, oh, he's not going to overthrow the Romans? Wait, this, this isn't right. This isn't coming through for me on my, on my terms. And what we can take away from that is when, when life happens and things aren't working out the way that you think they should, how quickly does our heart go inward? And, and how quickly do we say, all right, that was, I, that was good, God, I got it from here. I'm going to take this. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm just going to quickly you know, try to take control. I want to be my own king. And that's, that's a takeaway from it. So the people were putting their trust in a conquering king to overthrow the Romans. So ultimately, what the people intended for evil, God turned ultimately into our good, into our ultimate good. And he did it on his terms. And I think the takeaway for us is when we put our trust in God, we can rest. We can put down our fear and our, our anxiety and our worry. We can rest in him. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be worried sometimes, that we're not going to be concerned. But at the end of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you can, you can know that God has your best interest at heart. And he proved that through the life of death and resurrection of his son Jesus. So if you're here and you're struggling with anxiety and you struggle with wanting to become the own king of your kingdom, maybe placing your faith in money or power or relationships or any other idol that vies for our attention, Jesus is saying, look to the cross. You can trust me. I can be trusted. And as our relationship deepens, I'm going to tell you to do things. Things that are good. Things that are going to bring me glory. Things that are going to bring redemption to the city. I'm going to ask you to do some hard things. And as I ask you, I want you to trust me and do it. And I will give you the grace to empower you to do it. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. We're going to have communion. And I love the fact that we celebrate communion every week here. um, Because this is a time for us 
to remember that God can be trusted. That when we take and eat, if you're a believer and there's sin in your heart and there's things that you need to, to, to confess to God, this is a time when you get to confess that to God. Thank him that he has forgiven you past, present, future. Ask him to empower you to conquer things that continually um, beat us down. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, you can take this opportunity as we sing songs to get right with God. To say, you know what, God, I put my trust in me. I put my trust in myself, my life, my career, my relationships. And now's the day I'm going to switch that. I'm going to put my trust in you. You're the king. I want you to be king in my heart. I'm sorry for making myself king. And I want you to sit on the throne. So as the worship team plays and we sing songs and praise to God over the next three songs, you can come up, take a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body, dip it into the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for us. Thank him for saving us. We're also going to have people praying in different spots in the back of the room. So if you need prayer today, and we want to be a church of prayer, we believe God hears us, he answers us, he's powerful, he wants to hear from us, and we want to pray with you. So as we're worshiping God and we're praying and, and you feel called to, go ahead and pray with people in the back. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to worship God. Thank you, Jesus, for today. God, thank you that we can get together and enjoy you. That you offer us life, life abundantly. That we know that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy everything. That you've come to give us life and life more abundantly, life to the fullest. Help us to walk in that life, Jesus. Pray for each one one of us in this room that our trust in you would deepen today and that out of that trust we would listen and obey you and follow you and God thank you that we can go to bed at night knowing we don't have to earn our salvation you did it for us we can rest in your grace in Jesus name amen